We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers look great in a 128-97 to thrashing of the Golden State Warriors up in the Bay Area. Uh, Mike, this was uh, one of, I thought, one of the most complete performances from the team this season. What, what did you spot uh, from the game last night? The obvious things are, you know, the bench and just Kuz and Trez and the firepower that the Lakers still have, even after missing two starters and missing Caruso, one of the best bench players in the league, and just how comfortable those guys were knowing that they were going to get more opportunities and more touches. And so I thought that was a big factor. And I think that just to put a put a bit of context into this, this is the most rested that the Lakers will be basically for the rest of the season. Um, not only do they have the all-star break, but then they had two straight games, uh, or sorry, two straight days over the weekend off. And the Warriors had a tough game on Sunday against Utah. So I thought the Lakers just looked sharp and fresh, and the Warriors looked pretty tired, especially as the game went on. So uh, just a little bit of a grain of salt, I, I think, to that. And, and that will, you know, we'll see tonight in the game against the Timberwolves, they will now have, they will not have the rest advantage. And I'll be curious if they can keep that energy level going, especially at Staples Center, Darius, where they have not been. Um, as energetic this season. So uh, I don't mean to take something away from it because it was an excellent game, an excellent effort, but I, I just think we have to keep that in mind. I like when you're the pessimist, Mike. That's a that's a rare occasion. No pessimism. That's realism, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> just real, man. I hear you, though. Yeah, I thought the Warriors, they're just not a good matchup, I think. Pete, you had said this like in our text thread, but it was something that looked very clear during the game and like... They're a team who do not have effective 
bigs at this point who can like protect the rim and the Lakers, even without AD, they're a team that's going to threaten the front of the rim. You saw that over and over with LeBron, um, with Schroeder, and then just Kuz and THT and Trez. Like it was an onslaught on the front of the rim. And the Warriors just don't have that interior defensive presence right now. And not only that, but their bigs can't contain really off of the dribble. Um, I think Wiseman can get there eventually, but he looks lost out there right now in any switch and Schroeder, his eyes get like saucers when he sees Wiseman isolated out there on an Island. And if I was going to take like any one thing or two things away, I'd start with Trez and, and just how sharp he looks offensively, but in tandem with him, there seems to be a really, and maybe you're seeing something different on film, Pete, but the Lakers are really looking for him on drives right now. Like, like they are looking for him as a dump off option. And there were plenty of times where I thought on shot pass decisions, the guard had a good shot at the front of the rim. Like he could have elevated, maybe drawn, drawn a foul, but they were just dumping the ball off to Trez time and time again. And he was just eating in the restricted area. What was it that you saw? Like Mike and I talked a lot about offense. Like, did you see anything defensively that stood out to you? Because this was a dominant defensive performance as well. Yeah, man, that's something that is really striking to me that, uh, we're without AD, we're without Alex Caruso. You can make a good argument that those are our two very best. Obviously, AD is our best defensive player. But in terms of consistent, consistently, although apologies to Braun and Schroeder, man, we got a lot of good defenders now that, now that I think about it. But uh, the best defensive player in the world and a great defender in Alex Caruso is out. Oh, and Marcus Gasol, former defensive player of the year as well, who's been fantastic. And we're still, we gave up 100 to Indiana, gave up 97 to Golden State. And I'm so struck by our ability to close out to the three-point line. That's something that part of the reason why I thought that we were a really tough matchup for them is we're just flying around, man. And one thing that I'm really excited about from this stretch and what I what I think is coming, even with the injuries, is Mike, that that was one of the most consistent mental engagement. Right. So you're absolutely right that we had a rest advantage, uh, that we had some factors in our favor in this game. But in terms of focus for 48 minutes, that was one of the better games of the season. And of course, those things are tied together. But that ability to um, when we're locked in, man, defensively, uh, it it really uh, is a testament to Vogel's abilities and to get everybody on the same page defensively that we can be out so many really high end defenders and still look like that. Yeah, in this team too, Pete, I think to speak to what you're saying about the mental energy and the focus and all that, they've had so many different lineups and so many different guys in and out lately that even having a game where they had two days ahead of knowing what their rotation was going to be, they knew Caruso was going to be out, uh, they knew no AD, they knew Gasol, and this, uh, so two things here I want to focus on. First, just quickly, LeBron, when, so LeBron was plus 33, and if you have guys out 
in in this case, it's so Keith steps in right as he's been doing for AD spot, and and uh, Damian Jones steps in at the center spot, and it, it just got me to thinking that it it doesn't matter that much when LeBron's locked in, who else is on the court with him at certain times. And obviously for the run of the season, sure it does. But like, this is why, so the Lakers, we said before the season go about 11 deep. And now that was of course not counting Damian Jones. And so he comes in and just sort of fills that slot. Keith comes in and fills a slot. He hits a couple threes early and then off the bench, instead of being weakened by these three key rotation players out, you have Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell, who we could probably make a list, guys, but they're two of the, I don't know, five, six best offensive players coming off the bench in the NBA mm-hmm. uh, still. And at least in terms of upside, where if you, a guy that can get you 25 and not have it look weird, right? Uh, and Kuz can do that, Trez can do that. And so those guys knowing that on this night, okay, Jones is starting, but he's not going to eat a ton. Like, he's not going to need a lot of touches. Um, Keith is going to take some spot-up jumpers. KCP is going to take some jumpers. But they knew when they got in there that they were going to have uh, the ball a lot. And I just think that gets them more engaged. It gets them a bit more focused than they can also defend. And the ball boom at Darius um, was fantastic. for in considering that a lot of these guys were in there looking to score, Kuz is dropping off sweet little dimes inside to Trez. Uh, THT is dropping dunks for people and that kind of stuff to go along with the aggression I thought was, was, uh, was very positive to see. Yeah. I thought at one point, Mike, you had tweeted about the Lakers ball movement. And right then I just happened to be looking at the box score and they had 40 made baskets and 30 assists on those 40 made baskets. And I spoke to it earlier about the dump off passes, but Kuz as a passer, I think like there's something that THT does as, as a passer where he is so good at getting all of the way to the rim that a lot of his passes are either dump off passes or he, he just draws so much defensive depth down in to the paint that, that he really kicks the ball out. But Kuz is making these early reads that, that have been really impressing me. Darius, I, I wanted to let me kick that point to Pete too, because so I, I'm guessing you guys didn't get a chance to watch the the pregame interview, uh, but I happened to get Kuzma and I happened to ask him just about his evolution. And this is coming off, of course, he had the great fourth quarter where he scored 15 points the other night uh, against Indiana, and he said this, and this is this is a somewhat somewhat quoted, but I'm paraphrasing. I've become an all-around player, a complete player outside a bit as a passer and a playmaker, which is a little bit of a work in progress. That's the next progression in my game. Obviously, becoming a playmaker, you have to have the ball in your hands. That's a work in progress. For me, it's all about making the right reads. And so I just thought it was interesting then that during the game, he was making some of those reads and like making some progress there in the area that he recognized is the one where he still does need to grow. And Pete, I, I wondered if you could speak to that and if you see where you see him at passing wise as a talent versus as somebody that needs the ball more and versus how much of it is a mental focus. Yeah, I think that, you know, LeBron spoke to uh, has spoken to Kuz, the game slowing down for Kuz. And part of that, I, I think of I'm thinking of basketball more and more in terms of mastering scenarios, especially in the modern game where there's it's much more. Uh, 
across the board, everybody plays a similar way. Like everybody uses the dunker spot. Everybody uses a couple of different variations of spacing, but it's different than the 80s and 90s where there was a certain degree of that where guys are just kind of where they are and like, hey, I'm a good mid-range shooter, so I'm going to stand here in a place that you would never stand in 2021. And so as a result, that you see the same circumstances pop up over and over again, right? Especially for a wing player and a, a guy who doesn't handle the ball a ton like Kuz, it's going to be attacking a closeout and you have to decide, do I drive all the way to the rim? Do I shoot the one dribble pull up? Do I shoot the floater? Or do I make that pass? And if I do, where's the help coming from? And so all and all of that is happening very, very fast. So the reason why guys like LeBron say the game is slowing down for a player is that can be overwhelming for a player like THT who makes some of those drives. And you can tell on some of them, he's jumping and kind of contorting and buying himself enough time for a passing window to emerge. Whereas if he knew how to read the defense that quickly, which he will, he will get there. He would know, oh, this guy came from there, therefore this guy is open and this is the pass that's available. And that is what Kuz has gotten a lot better at, right, is he is seeing the game one step ahead in a way that it's so – Darius, I've loved – watching we had all those young guys and it's been so cool to have one of them for the entire time it's he's come such a long way in understanding that component of the game the if the defense does this then i do that and there's nowhere that that's reflected more than his past well kuz is an interesting player pete because we have watched him over the course of his full career and one of the things that struck me very early on in watching him is like, oh, this dude has some feel. He's like, he's just got some feel for the game. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that that was almost always expressed was as a scorer, right? Like he knew how to get to certain spots on the floor. He had a good idea of what type of shot to take in what position that he found himself in, be it on the move, little running hooks, like, he has great feel and instinct as a cutter. He has those great circle cuts, man, from like the wing and from the and from above the break where a guy drives baseline or a guy drives middle and he loops in order to make himself available for for a pass. But when he was in his rookie and second season, he also showed a little bit of like passing flair and it was just like, "Huh?" That's an interesting little trait that he has. And it was, I think, Pete, probably one of the reasons why long term you saw him more as a wing than as a stretch forward. It was because he could sort of do things on the perimeter that that orient him more as as a pure perimeter player rather than a big who is out there. And. The passes that he's making now, you've talked a lot on the pod about like the decision window, like around the free throw line. And he is making that pass, I think, consistently over the last month to six weeks. He's been making the right read on that pass a lot. Now, I would say in the last two to three weeks of actual games, right, we we had a week off for the All-Star break. But in the last two or three weeks of, of games... I think he's even refined that more in terms of shot pass decisions. He was skewing more towards shooting 
when when like earlier in the year when he was getting in to that decision window but now i feel like it's almost 50 50 and the decision is almost always right now that doesn't mean it's going to lead to a wide open shot or to an easy basket for for a teammate but that executive function of being able to make that decision on the move like that is just a big and nice step in his growth and development as an offensive player. And so Mike, when he's talking to you pre-game and acknowledging, like I'm becoming more of an all-around player, I would bet that he thinks that's on the defensive end too, right? But he really has become a really nice role player and settled into his role in in a way where he can do what Vogel always says right which is be a star in your role and he is talented enough to be a star in that role and score 25 one night or grab a dozen rebounds another night or have a game like he did against the Warriors where it's like oh look at Kuz like 18 points, nine rebounds, four assists, like a steal, a block. And it's just like, oh man, like that's a good box score line, but it's also winning basketball. And that's the difference I feel like in what he was when he was a younger player versus what he's become now on a championship contender. And it's great to see. Yeah. So Kuz the last three games now averaging 22, 10, you know, a, a steal and a half, uh, almost three assists, 50% from the field, 48% from three. And it's a small sample size, uh, but that's that's in 31 minutes. And so it's a it is a glimpse as to you know what he what he could do on a nightly basis if he was if he was given those minutes. And he just wasn't given those minutes last year, other than the few games that AD was out and or a couple times when he even started for LeBron last year. And, and we've gone over that before, right? He was guaranteed to he averaged 20 uh, whenever those guys were out. And so here he is again, averaging 20, um, except that the rebounds are up, the passing's a little bit better, and the defense is definitely better. And I think that nationally, certainly, he's so much of an afterthought now in the conversation about the Lakers where y- you may hear the discussion, it's, oh, it's, it's LeBron and AD and then everybody else and that whole thing that the three of us have railed against. And I think he is the he is kind of the biggest representative of that, of a guy who who has a lot more to give um, and has been doing it. And maybe it isn't understood. But, you know, that I think can continue to evolve this year. The whole question is, Pete, once they do get everybody back and now you've had more of these guys like Trez and Kuz are the two specifically that will lose, you know, a lot of this action and activity once AD comes and it comes back and for right for you know very good reason but i think now that they've been able to put enough of these games on tape and that'll continue right that'll continue for the next couple of weeks at least that i think that puts those two in a better headspace and a better mental capacity of, of knowing that they can do it having that confidence getting it done and when they're asked to step back some then it's easier to do that than i think if they're ju- if you're just sort of on the bench and you know maybe people aren't aware throughout the season, what can be done? 
Absolutely. And this period of time, and if there's a silver lining to AD being out, it is a deeper incorporation without AD, right? Of course. And that's that's no small thing. But so many of our bench units, in particular, the start of the second quarter and the fourth quarter, AD's not in the game anyway. And I feel like the beginning of those quarters is where we really dominated this game. Now, Golden State's an odd roster in that their starters are pretty good. Like if in their first quarter and their third quarter, you're getting a pretty pretty good team. They're 500 for a reason, right? And they've gone to the second unit fairly recently, but that lineup that they've put on the uh, the the court, their new second unit hasn't had a positive plus minus. It's a it's a bad group overall. That said, um, this was true in the Indiana game as well. We went on that run in the first part of the the fourth quarter, right? To where we got we went down 12 at the at the beginning of it, then we were up 6 by the time the- we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All of the starters started to come back in. And I think this period of time of incorporation, getting Trez more involved, getting getting Kuz more involved, can be translated to AD coming back. And it really speaks to the depth of the team that we've got those two guys that can put up 25 in any given night. And it's not like, oh, Wes Matthews or Alex Crusoe scored 25 points in a game. It's like, yeah, that's what they do. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about KCP. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. 
I have missed Kentavious Caldwell Pope and how he plays basketball. He's so fun. He's uh, his speed, the level of tenacity that he plays with. And we saw little flickers of that last night. He that third three that he shot was like a let it fly. Like that's the dude that I know. Um, it was it was great to see him start to take the shots that he needs to take. And even in the first half, he was kind of passing those up. Uh, Darius, I'm I'm looking for signs of life for him, and I have been for a bit now. So maybe I'm jumping the gun a bit. But what did you see from from KCP? In oh, this Pete, game? I saw your KCP back tweet and i thought i'm speaking it into existence it's i'm making it (laughs) and mike had said something about you know kcp playing great and i had said something all at the same same time and uh, the lfr pod account snapshotted a picture of all three of our tweets right in the rows praising (laughs) our guy the context of it was he he just he chucked a transition three without conscious, right? Which is what he does. Good, when, good. Yeah, exactly. Which is what he was doing earlier this season when he was a threat every time the ball came to him and defense had to, re- had to react to him. And that just wasn't happening. He wasn't making the sprint to the same degree. He wasn't getting it out of his hands and it wasn't good. So I think that's what we all at the same time were like, but let's, let's, uh, let's recognize this moment, you know? Well, Mike, I thought of all the players who were on the Lakers roster, who needed that all-star break. Obviously, LeBron is at the top of that list, but I thought KCP was probably second in line. Like, there were there were few players, there are few players who were on the Lakers roster who need to be as locked in mentally and right physically in order to play to the level in which you want that person to play as KCP. Right. Like there is a certain amount of the motor needs to be revving at a really high level. And in order to do that, you can't do that mindlessly, Pete. Like you can't be out there unfocused and sprinting everywhere and being in the right place. Like he plays too fast to not be locked in. Right. That's right. And that's why you see some of those like. What the hell was he thinking on that? Because if he's not locked in, it can look, it can get ugly because that combined with speed results. Exactly. And so the Warriors game, I thought, was a great example of what KCP can be when he is locked in and when he has the right amount of physical energy to go with the mental energy to stay focused. Right. And he did pass up a couple of first half shots, but like, Vogel's not lying when he's saying that KCP is drawing extra attention defensively this season than what he has in seasons past. Like he is in the starting lineup, the lone shooting threat that you feel like we're going to track this guy because if he starts to go off, it's really going to have a domino effect in a positive way for the Lakers offense. And so teams are just like, yeah, we're going to make you, we're running you off of the line. You're not an off the dribble threat really like he can do it but it's not his game and and so the scouting plan is out there kcp needs to basically have just a little bit more time to get his shot off and when his confidence starts to go down he's not taking that shot quickly enough against the warriors a couple of things happened that i thought were super important a, he got out in transition and got a couple of layups and a couple of ones too, where it wasn't just like, oh, he's all by himself. He had a nice finish with Wiggins right on his hip 
We saw Schroeder, for example, try to get a very similar layup against Wiggins and Wiggins swatted that thing away. Right. And, and, and so KCP was able to shield him and uh, get that layup. He got a couple of those, and then you could tell that the rhythm was there with his jump shot. Like, there is a certain, and maybe you could talk about his mechanics some here, Pete, but there is a certain amount of, like, everything is just in a nice flow, right? Like, the dip to the raise to the full extension, and when he is on, that is quick and it is precise. And when he's off, it seems like uh, there's a little hitch in there somewhere. And, And I thought... The Warriors game, it was just like, oh, man, this is this is bubble KCP. This is early season KCP where everything just looked connected within his shot mechanics as well. And and when he does that, he's going to shoot with confidence. I believe it was game four of the finals where he hit this corner three that was like a game clinching shot in the right hand corner. Right. And he was just sprinting down court and he caught he ends up in the right corner he reaches across his body to his left to catch the ball and just the mechanics of it it was such a it was an nba finals and nba playoffs type of shot and that's one of the reasons why i think he thrived going into the playoffs and deep into the playoffs for the first time in his career is playing fast is difficult for some guys if you have to speed up your mechanics your thought process the speed of the playoffs can bother guys where kcp kind of lives there that's where he what he does and it was he he barely dipped and he just got right into his shot mechanics and let it fly is that something in obviously these way lower stakes games mike that's not something that i expect him to be in nba finals level form but how does he balance this like back-to-back marathons his game so predicated on speed with the fact that that is really what again his game is based on so like is there a way for him to be the 60, 70% version of himself that a lot of guys are in the regular season, especially that have had long playoff runs the season before and still be able to thrive? Cause I, I want to see him in that like eight to 10 shots per game type of area. And it's been a minute since he's been getting even those types of attempts. Yeah. I see him coming back to form uh, as the season goes on. And I think that of almost anybody Aside from AD, and this is, of course, before the injury. And uh, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't put Kuzma in that class. But yeah, I'd say I'd say almost anybody in the roster, Pope was just feeling the length of the season and the mentally. I, I just I think he was not quite able to step out of that. And this is after four years with the Lakers. Uh, and last year was the first one where they had that truly competitive all year long, asked him to do the same things. And then it kind of peaked in the postseason, And that felt like a real true victory to him. You know, that felt like it, it was a it was a moment of conquering a lot of the criticism that he probably had felt uh, internally, externally, et cetera. And so he got to that mountaintop. And again, I think that part of this, this was the same thing with Anthony Davis. Right. Even though Davis is a big star. KCP is not LeBron LeBron's fine. Like LeBron has, has been there before he's done that before he's won before he's lost before it, it, even like, yes, physically he was tired. The little hurdle of getting himself going for this season again, I think was not quite the same there. And I also think that's why the influx of all the new talent on the roster was helpful because those guys are, didn't have that mental wall that they were going to hit uh, this year. So when that, when I saw it start happening for, KCP and the way that it transitioned on the court was 
a little bit less running, a little bit less shooting, a little bit less activity and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then you could just interviewing him, you could tell as well. And now I think that that now the end is it's not like the playoffs are that close to insight yet. So that's why, again, I still think there's a ramp up process, but he was a bit recharged from the break. And that's what I think this is more than anything else. I, I don't think that it's, it's some basketball thing or um, some confidence thing. I think that it's just him mentally coping with this insane season and the insane shortened off season and the reaching of the mountaintop that uh, Darius that that he's had to kind of figure out in his own head how to handle. Yeah. And I think that that process isn't always going to be linear either, Mike. So we should understand that as well. Like, just like you said early in the pod, this is the longest sort of like breakish that the Lakers are going to have this entire season. They had 10 or 11 days off during the all-star break. They just had two games over like a five day period or a four day period, whatever it was. And that's not going to be normal for the rest of the season. They've got all these back to back starting um, today against the wolves. And it's going to be like that, especially when you get it in the may where it's just like the whole damn month is back to backs. It feels like so there may be some regression in this area again. And the highs of a game like the one against the Warriors, those are going to feel fleeting at times during the second half of the season because guys are going to be tired. Like we're talking about AD being out potentially like two more weeks, two more weeks, but it's not going to be two more weeks. Like two more weeks is when he's going to be examined again. He's not going to be examined and then on the court, the next day right like he's gonna have to build himself back up go through a couple of practices or or off day work in order to get comfortable before he's actually playing playing again and so in a couple of weeks from now when the team has played six or seven or eight more games right you're gonna be like okay well they're looking a little bit mentally fatigued again and it's gonna ebb and flow some and kcp is probably an interesting barometer to watch with this team about where they're at mentally and physically, because Pete, you've talked a lot about KCP over the years, but he is one of the better conditioned guys that's on the team. He runs fast. He runs a lot during the season. Um, and he's never hurt. Right. So he's always available. And if he's out there and struggling a little bit mentally and physically, you could probably imagine that that's going to be true for the rest of the team. Absolutely. And it speaks to the idea of how difficult it is to to repeat. Right. Our path to a title, regardless of our, our talent level, is more difficult than anybody else's path to a title because it's cumulative. You know, you can maybe Miami, right? Miami, you could you could say them as well. But that cumulative effect, when you see a guy like it, it, it's hitting a guy like KCP, that really speaks to the oh, this is a real thing, and it's something that it's easy from our couches to be like, why aren't you playing better? And you know, and not having that mileage on our bodies, uh, and and that's something we've seen. This ain't our first rodeo trying to repeat or watching a team that's been trying to repeat and this happens this is something that's part of that season that follows a title my question for you guys is we got a, a couple of games coming up where i think we can we can get on a little bit of a streak if we certainly played like we did last night how do we 
understanding there's going to be those dips in the season um, and that we aren't at an all-star break where there's only a quarter of the season left afterward. But how do we carry forward what this momentum that I think we can build in this little stretch to have it apply to when AD comes back, uh, hitting on what you were talking about earlier, Mike, like what can be accomplished now that can be applied and stacked on top of each other to get that momentum rolling toward the playoffs? Well, Pete, you're, it's a an important point you make that they have to build on this and ride out what we knew was going to be a softer schedule in March. But I think that when here's how here's how I'll put this. So the way that everybody looked at the Lakers in the bubble in the seeding games last year, when there was all the uh oh, like what's going on, what are they doing? And you know, I think that some of us were trying to say, like, don't worry about it. They have the one seed locked up. They're not trying yet. But it was hard to, like, match what you were seeing with what your head knew until they showed it in the postseason. And especially after the Portland game when they like, – they what what was the stat? Like, they missed the most potential oh, scoring God. options or something. That game was, one? Yeah. Um, yes. I can't remember what the stat was. But there, yeah, oh. there's somebody – that there's some NBA.com stat that tracks, like – you know, per points that should have come on open jumpers or whatever. And it was like the biggest one of the years, like 75 points, right? something <laughs> like that. Um, and then the, yeah. cl- that quickly turned around. Right. So the, the, the eight games or so ish and eight is rough. Like it could be, you know, it could be 10, it could be six before the all-star break this year. I thought we're a little bit similar in that the Lakers were clearly just, that was not them. Okay. That was not what they're going to look like from an energy standpoint, from a health standpoint, from all of that stuff. And now they're starting to go back the other way and the pendulum and look like themselves a bit again. And guess what? They're only they're at this point, they're two and a half games back now uh, of the one seed. Like Utah has, as I think the three of us noted a couple weeks ago, uh, are not this powerhouse, <laughs> right? They've uh, they're five and five in their last 10, like they're good, but are they for sure better than Phoenix or the Clippers or Denver or Portland? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, so that's that that's not like there's this there's this big standings crush that's happened. Uh, Phoenix, you know, they won again last night, but they're uh, they they dropped their previous game before that um, at home to Indiana, who was on a back to back against the Lakers. You know, I, I don't I, I don't think Phoenix is a team you look up at and, you know, have this big uh, sort of from a from the way the Lakers should feel. I'm saying not necessarily my opinion, but have some big fear of in that context. The Clippers have been clearly struggling. Uh, they're four and six in their last 10, despite be, being mostly healthy. Um, I know Ibaka missed their last game. You have Kawhi Leonard questioning their night-to-night consistency. Uh, then you have Denver, who's better. Denver's been better lately, right? They've won seven of 10. They're starting to come on a bit. They're starting to get a couple of bodies back. But we've seen what the Lakers do against Denver. Uh, we've seen that matchup. And I, I don't need to go through the entire standings, but kind of the point is here, it's not as if the Lakers went into this lull and the rest of the West uh, just uh, separated itself and showed, yeah. you know, that we've learned there's some new emerging team, Darius, that uh, that has to really be accounted for in a way. So I do still feel like the Lakers are playing uh, mostly for themselves here um, to get healthy, to get better. Right. And, you know, the only team that I in that previous context I would mention is Brooklyn, who can't who will just refuses to lose without Kevin Durant. Uh, and like, so that they're a real team. Uh, that's the team I, we all think is going to go to the finals. And that's, that's something that if it gets there, we can spend a lot of time on, but 
Um, yeah, the, as far as the West, at least, Darius, are, are you with me there? Is there something else that you that you would go the No, the way? West is super talented, and the Lakers position, I think, is firm as being, if not the, the favorite by record, the favorite through the fact that they're the defending champs, right? And, and so just like any other defending champ, you're going to have to knock off the Lakers. And one of these other teams is going to have to prove it. And that's just what it is. They're all in prove it mode right now. Denver, Dallas, Phoenix, the Clippers, Utah, they all need to prove it, right? Pete, you asked a question to Mike about like stacking habits or, or building on on the momentum is there something specific that you want to see or 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 something that you think is going to be important in between now and say a month from now like even after the potential point where ad could be back where you want to see certain things coalesce because i definitely have a couple of ideas but but i want to hear yours I, I love the way we're playing on offense right now. I understand that when AD comes back, there are going to be more isolation possessions, more post-ups and more plays where we don't have that sort of movement. But the the transition to more horn sets, more stagger screens, and more ball screens, some of which come out of those two sets. I think that we're really part of why we're seeing Trez uh, be really productive in this period of time is both the horn sets where we give the ball to him on the elbow. He's had a couple of plays against uh, Go. Patadze in Indiana and then against uh, was it Wiseman last through. night where, yep. yeah where he, he fakes the handoff right Treads is so explosive that that's a great position to put him in especially if you can get LeBron or somebody uh coming around a screen right and and uh he can fake that handoff or that can flow into a handoff and then he rolls to the basket. But I think we're putting Trez in really good positions on the offensive end. Uh, Vogel mentioned last night that on the defensive end, that Indiana game was, was a, a big leap forward for him and, and showed a lot of growth. I think that we saw that continue in the golden state game where he was fantastic. So Trez, I, there's a reason I've been really kind of pounding the table about him because uh, like, there's something worth it there, right? Like that I I'm, I refuse to believe that he can't get to the point where he needs to be on the defensive end to make his offense worth it in a playoff situation. And so those are the types of things, uh, the half court offense, getting more movement involved there uh, and the, the ball screens. Those are the things that I've liked. Uh, it, yeah. what, what have you seen that, that you think can be stacked? Well, a couple of, a couple of things on just on Trez, one person who's been bullish on Trez in his post game lately has been LeBron. And that always tells you something like LeBron knows LeBron knows what's going on. And he sees, he sees the same thing Pete just talks about. They have an advantage when Trez is in there that they have to use. And Trez is, is learning more and more where to pick those spots and when to get into different spaces and how to play with these different teammates. That is just so different from what he experienced with the Clippers, where it was 90% of the time it was Lou Williams. And then occasionally it may have been Kawhi or Paul George. Like those were the guys that he was getting his touches from. And now he's starting to kind of learn those spots and, and what gaps to get into. So I think that's important. And if I can, if I can use, use this, Pete and Darius, of course, feel free to, to jump back on what Pete just said. But before we get out of here, I want to make sure to get your guys' quick thoughts on THT also, because that was a after, after. Oh, thank you. You know, after having a few weeks, really, and, and he, you know, where whether whatever kind of fatigue that he was experiencing or, or almost like a rookie wall in a sense of how many games he has still played after not playing last year. Um, he looked like a different guy uh, last last game against the Warriors and was impressive. And, and I wondered what both of you saw 
I guess the reasons why you guys saw that happen for THD. So let me jump to Pete's thing first. I'm going to sound like Frank Vogel really quickly because I think it's defense, Pete. Like the thing I want to see them continue to build on is Mm -hmm. defense. You mentioned earlier about AD being like the best defensive player in the world. Well, guess what? If the Lakers can continue to be a dominant defense without Anthony Davis and then get Anthony Davis back and incorporate him into a top performing defense where they're not looking to him as a savior, but they're looking to him as someone to integrate back into an already highly functioning defense. Well, guess what? They can go from the best defense in the league from a points per possession metric to a team that, oh my goodness, as much as like you fear a team like the Nets offensively, the Lakers can come in defensively and do similar things to you. And so continuing to build on that is super important to me. And so let me channel my inner Frank Vogel there. In terms of THT, yeah, Mike, like, it looked for a little while like the league was catching up to him a little bit. The scouting report, like everyone just sort of knew what his strengths and weaknesses were. And he seemed to be in his own head about like what's working and what's not. And like not necessarily in the choose your own adventure game of of basketball, right? Where it's like, oh, skip to page 42. It's just like, oh, well, you're on page 42. Well, you fell in quicksand, right? And, and I felt like he kept choosing the wrong page to go to and and he was struggling and he just couldn't find find his game the Warriors though again and I think this speaks to like the matchup stuff I thought the Warriors just weren't very equipped to deal with a player like THT um he was bullying their smaller guards and then when he was getting into the paint he was collapsing them and his decision making I felt like was sharper than what it's been and maybe that does come from from mental rest pete is like they're like an x's and o's thing that you're seeing or is it more just like him doing his thing i think that when how suited tht is for a game is directly correlated to how much we're running and i think that our the frequency of our transition game against Golden State really suited him. The one thing I thought his decision-making, and Vogel spoke to this as well, his decision-making, not just reflected by the 10 assists, although that, that certainly does, when he was getting into the paint, he had a better feel for where to go with it. And that's something that is going to be really critical because he drives so much that we don't want him to just rely on that window emerging, but knowing where a help defenders coming from is, is well, this is, is super a point important. that Stu makes a lot during the telecast. Right. And he makes it a lot about THT about getting your head over your toes. Right. And, and he yeah. really wants mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. to keep his head up and, and, and be a little bit more balanced and under control when he gets into the yeah. paint, because when he gets too far going forward, that's when he draws charges. It's when he jumps and doesn't really have an idea of, about what, what, what he's going to do. And I thought against the Warriors, he was more under control. Absolutely. And he's going to thrive, I think, against those teams that struggle to protect around the rim. I saw some stat where we were like 25 of 25 at the rim uh, in in last night's game without Anthony Davis. Right. And uh, just a really good overall performance by the team. And THT was fantastic. Tiny note on just on the team playing without AD. They've somehow been third in defensive efficiency since he went out. 
uh, February 4th. Remarkable. Uh, which is impressive, especially like Mark's missed four games. You know, now you just mentioned Caruso, Pete. He was also out a couple earlier. So, yeah. So, uh, Schroeder. Dennis uh, was yep, too. Like, uh, yep, Schroeder. all of our best defenders. Yeah. yeah. So, that's um, that says something. That says something. And Vogel should get some credit for that, too. Absolutely. And uh, that's, that's the third stu- superstar on this team is our – collective team defense and credit to Vogel credit to the guys for being able to stay cohesive on that end, even with all of this, you know, uh, rotating roster guys coming in and out. So really good win. Let's keep it up tonight. I I think we got a shot at a little bit of a, of a streak. Um, We got Minnesota on Tuesday night, then another game on, on Thursday, going to be a busy week, but until then you've been listening to Laker film room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.